Welcome to the Next Level Business Podcast for entrepreneurs who are looking to take their business and wealth to the next level. All right, guys, we are live. Welcome to the Next Level Business Podcast. We've got a special episode for you. This is Josh Pather. I'm here with Shane Mara. And we have a special guest today, Mr. Sean Fedreen. Did I say that all right? right? Yeah, you got it. Okay, perfect. So uh, thank you for coming on the show today. Uh, Sean posted the other day that he did, was it 6.7 under contract? Yeah, we got about 6.7 million million, uh, under contract so far uh, this year, hoping to close on uh, a 4 million, I'm sorry, $2.6 million uh, acquisition at the end of February, and then hopefully 30 to 45 days later, closing a $4 million acquisition. All right. So good work, bro. That's yeah, good. I have been uh, chatting for about a year now. Uh, we've known yep. that we met through a mutual friend, actually, Ken Mack, who's on another episode of the podcast. Shout out to Ken Mack. <laughs> Ken Mack in Dubai. We were, come on, baby. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so we, uh, we've been in contact, and he's in Louisiana. and uh, you know, we hit it off and he's been, you know, uh, giving me some advice on, on some real estate stuff and how to get creative with my deals. Uh, and so we wanted to have him on here, learn about his story, see how he's doing it. Uh, a lot of times when we hear millions of dollars in acquisitions, we all believe that we can't do it. And there's some mysterious advantage that other people have. But it's all about creativity and, and hustling and getting the job done. That's really it, you know. I like to say picking up the phone and calling, you know, sure. <laughs> so, um, Sean, just uh, tell us, you know, how you got started and, uh, and and where you are today and the journey. Sure. So ever since I was about 15 years old, I fell in love with the idea of rent houses. Just it's it's just a, a thing that, you know, uh, it I, it just appealed to me. So. As I got older, you know, went to school, you know, didn't finish college, you know, so I'm not a college graduate. And I have a high school education, a couple of years of college. I wish I'd have finished, but I didn't. And I just went to work, you know, went to work uh, doing anything that I could. I worked as a tire salesman um, and um, sold tires for three or four years. I played music on the side and still I never lost the desire to want to have real, rental property. So with that being said, um, The first opportunity that I had was I saw there was an ad for a mobile home uh, for sale for $500. So I didn't even have $500 to spend on the mobile home. So I called the guy up and went and looked at it. And it was this, this, you know, old 30 year old rusted out, you know, tin can is what I like to call them. And it was just pitiful. So I asked the guy if he'd be willing to sell it to me uh, for $500, but owner finance it. I said, I could give you a hundred dollars today and I'll give you a hundred dollars a month for the next four months. So he, he agreed to do it. Uh, used credit cards and whatever I had to go and get carpet and flooring and paint and whatever. And on the weekends I went in there myself and, and, uh, and did all that myself, you know, with a little bit of help, you know, I'd hire somebody, you know, that was in the park that wanted to make 50 or 60 bucks or whatever. And I'd pay him to do a little bit of work for me. So once I got that uh, that one done, I turned around and owner financed that to somebody. I got $1,500 down, 500 bucks a month for five years and probably sold it three or four times 
you know, because they never paid at all. So I just kept getting it back and I'd, I'd be to do the same thing. You're talking, so, about that, you're talking about that same mobile home that you bought? That same mobile home. Yep. <laughs> yeah. How much money did you end up making on that mobile home? Probably about 10 grand. <laughs> so uh, That's a good story. It's crazy. So I, so anyway, so I, I kept doing that. So I bought the, the, the mobile home was in a mobile home park and that mobile home park need, had a lot of those type of types of units in there. And I would start doing the same thing. I'd get them cheap. I'd talk to the park owner. Hey, do you want to get rid of some of these things and here, you know, work out a deal and just kept on until I got it to about 10. Once I got about 10 of them going, um, which took me probably about, it probably took me a couple of years uh, to get up to ten. That were this is this is all on the side too, right? This is you have your daytime job, yes, and you're just yes. doing all this on the side. Yep. At, at that Great time, I was a construction worker. At that, at that time, I was a construction worker. I was making eleven dollars an hour, working in one of the refineries. You know, just you know, doing you know labor. Um, so yeah, I'd get off of work. I'd go work on the trailer. Work on the weekends. And, you know, I was, I was extremely focused in growing that business. Well, after I got about 10 of them going, I had about a net, you know, positive cash flow of about, I don't know, two to three grand a month off of that. Uh, And didn't use any of it, didn't go have a good time with it, just continued to work uh, in reinvesting that into more units. So I finally was able to buy a house. The first house I bought, other than the one that I live in, the first house that I bought, uh, I bought for $8,000. It was a four bedroom, one bath, just junker. Okay. But I didn't have $8,000. So I had a friend of mine who, who, um, I asked him if he wanted to go in the deal. He said, yeah, he said, I'll go in the deal. He goes, how much do you have? I said, I can, I could squeeze 2,500 bucks. That's what I, and I was so nervous. And he put up the rest and he financed the, you know, he financed the house to me. And, you know, so there was the, there was house number one and just started doing that over and over and over again. And then finally I got up to the point to where I had uh, 30 single family houses. Um, then I was able to use the equity of that and purchase two mobile home parks. And actually one of the mobile home parks was, where I actually got my start whenever I bought that first trailer. So that was kind of cool. And then I bought a, uh, and then I bought a third park. So this all happened over, I would say uh, eight to 10 year period of just nonstop every, you know, every time I had an opportunity, just taking moving forward and getting creative. Like I said, I didn't have money. So I had to get creative and getting deals done. And, you know, you'd be surprised what people are well are willing to do if they're motivated. So I keep telling people the number one thing that you have to find is not so much a property, but you got to find somebody that's motivated to get out of it. So if they're motivated and you can solve their problem, there's a good chance you're going to get what you want. You know, uh, you've touched on so many key points to success. One of the things you touched on was you didn't blow the money, right? You know how easy it would have been to blow all that excess cash you had? and Very you know, easy. Especially, especially in your youth, right? That, that's a time when you blow it all. But mm-hmm. you didn't. You rolled that up. And that is one of the keys to uh, building wealth. You, another thing, you kept your daytime job. You did all this stuff on the side. You were diligent. You kept going. You didn't use yep. any of your own money. I love a story like that because – 
just to, for the people out there, this can be done. This is why we had Sean on here. And we just want everybody thinks that the only way to build wealth, is you just got to have a silver spoon in your mouth. But yeah. that's not true. You can hustle your way to the top. You don't need a college education. Yeah. But if you know what you're looking for, if you know what you're buying, and I saw that one of your posts, you talked about you got to know what you're buying, right? Mm-hmm. You got to do. You got to. You got to run the traps. You got. You got to do your due diligence and know what you're buying. But once you know what you're buying, you can be creative. You can be flexible. But if you apply those principles, you will be successful. That's Correct. a great story, man. Thank you. Yeah, it's been it's been a lot of fun, and you know, it, and and I would even say this. Um, Sam Zell says it best. He is what he considers a biz, a business agnostic, which means it. There's nothing that he will not look at. So, and I'm the same way. If somebody comes to me with an opportunity, I never not look at it just because I haven't done it before. So, and which is how I got into the campground slash RV park business. I had never owned one. It was totally different than anything that I'd ever done before. And um, again, I knew that I didn't know anything about it. So I made sure that I got in business with people that had had years and years of experience in operating and managing those types of, uh, properties, because it's more of a business than it is just a passive investment, you know, for that particular property. You know, and I will say this on, you know, mobile home parks and RV parks, you know, they used to be like the, the leper. It was like the dog nobody wanted. Right. Yeah, and you 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 would you would buy these at cap rates of. I remember back when I was in banking because nobody wanted them. You just did see cap rates of seventeen to twenty. I mean, I these bought, were fantastic yeah. deals. I bought the two. I bought two mobile home parks. I think at fourteen caps. Yeah, and so just to give you an idea, I bought I bought two parks uh, right next to each other. Um, and I kept them about two and a half years. I paid one point five million for the pair, and two and a half years later, sold it for three million. Wow! And th- this is what I will say on cap rate, just so we we catch everybody up to speed. Cap rate is just what you're going to sell the property on, and that's that's the that's the valuation you use on the commercial side. You don't use that valuation on the residential side generally, but it's on the commercial side. And essentially, the lower the cap rate, the more expensive the property. So when we're talking about cap rates at 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, that means that property is very, very cheap. And it's based on a multiple of the net income divided by the purchase price. So in, in the banking world, I can tell you this, we didn't want to finance them back in the day, right? They, they, they were, you had to, you had to come up with that kind of money on your own. Most, yes. Uh, so because banks didn't really want to touch it, but that has changed now. Now there's this massive popularity in RV parks and mobile homes, and now everybody wants them. And so I'll bet you're seeing these multiples get, these cap rates get squeezed quite a bit. Like what, what are cap rates are you seeing today on these RV parks? Well, the RV parks are a little bit different. So, but just to touch on the mobile home park uh, and the cap rates that you're talking about, you're exactly right. So what I have noticed is that over the last, let's just say 10 years ago, you're exactly right. Nobody wanted these types of properties. Everybody was buying commercial real estate or office space or whatever, you know, know, multifamily, you know, apartment buildings, whatever. But as, as people, when, when capital, 
you know, investors came in and started taking a really hard look. I'm talking about big players at mobile home parks. Then everybody started getting excited about them. And it has continued to compress the cap rates. And I am telling you, it is so difficult to find anything that fits my criteria because people are paying six and seven caps and some even lower for stuff that I would never even touch. But and they're doing it because they're able to get very low interest financing. So all they're doing is really just making that spread between the interest rate and the loan constant versus what the cap rate is. So if you're going to do that, I would say that's great, but you have to have a way to where you can increase the value of that property and increase the rent significantly over a five-year period before that loan balloons because you you know you don't know what the interest rates are going to be in five years. So you have to have a plan to where you can get that income level up. That way, you know, when it comes time to refi, you're not stuck in a negative cash flow situation. And your your goal today is still to buy stuff with no money down, right? I do. I do stuff. with. So let me tell you this. I'll tell you what we got going on. Um, I have the two parks that I told you that I have under um, under contract right now. I'll tell you how it's structured. I have a couple of business partners that we're doing business with. One of them has a 1031 exchange that he has to do. Well, he was looking at office space or, you know, strip centers, retail and. We all saw what happened uh, with that t- with those types of properties during COVID that, you know, you know, it didn't do very well. Banks actually tightened up a lot on those types of properties and the campground business actually flourished in the 2020 because of COVID. So he's got a 1031 exchange to do. So what he's going to do is he's going to use 100 percent of his money for the acquisition. He will his name will be on the note. And then what I'm going to do is I'm going to come in there. We're going to structure an operating company that will lease that property from him, pay him rent on it with an option to buy it anytime we want. And so we're going to get all the gener- all the income generation off of the um, off of the business. And then we're just going to pay him a fee as if we were just be leasing the land. So I get to get into a four million dollar deal with absolutely no cash out of my pocket. Now, what's the exit strategy on that? How are you going to make money if you're just leasing it from him? Because the operating company will have the ability to purchase it at any point in time for exactly what he paid for it. If that means five years down the road or if it's tomorrow or 10 years down the road, all I'm doing is I have an operating company which will operate and run the business, which will take all the income, pay all the expenses and just basically pay rent to lease the land. But you get that that same $4 million sales price when you buy it from him. I, I get that. I, yes. Yeah, so so the, the value is going to be in the operating company. So let's just say that let's just say that that particular business will do a million dollars a year in revenue. And I run and I have a 40 percent uh, NOI. OK, that means that that business at that time would be worth four million. OK, that is cap. at a 10 cap rate. Correct. Now, we're going to do better than that. So I think that 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 this particular park will generate near in in a three year period, I think we'll do close to three million in revenue at a 40 percent NOI. So at a 10 cap, I'm going to make a lot of money on that. And then what will happen is I'll just exercise my option to buy at the closing table whenever I sell. So you never have to come up with four million. Never. (laughs) 
And then, and then when you sell, let's say you sell it for five and a half, you made a million mm-hmm. and a half on that. How much does the guy that has a 1031, what's he getting out of that $1.5 million profit That's, on the sale? He gets none of that. As the landowner, all he's getting is rent for the time that we're paying him. But I am going to make him, an, uh, uh, he is going to be a, pers- a 25% owner in the operating company. Okay, so he'd get 25%. He will get, get upside on the sale of the operating company, but he's only going to get his $4 million back uh, and whatever equity he's paid down over the course of the next five years on the actual land. So there's two, there's, it gets complicated, but you have two different companies. You have a land owning company and you have an operating company. Gotcha. That's a cool structure. Thanks for sharing that with us. So Sean, uh, what's the 1031 in a deal like that is set up at the beginning or at the time of sale? Your ten, if you're exiting a property, you have to you have to uh, what what you do is you uh, first American is a company that I use whenever I did a 1031 and mm. you fill out a form. You tell them how much money you're going to be, you know, looking to exchange the sales price. Then you're going to have to identify at least three properties. You have to identify and close on those properties within a very short time frame. You have 45 days to identify what you're going to buy. If you don't buy anything that you've identified and your in your identification period runs out, then the exchange is, is not valid. It won't happen. So there's a lot of rules and really all a 1031 exchange is, is just a deferring. You're just deferring paying capital gains tax on that gain. So they, they, they try to make it very, very tight, you know, because uncle Sam wants his money but, you know, as long as you play by the rules and you know, typically if you knew that you were going to sell your building, Josh, you would be looking right now at where are you going to put this money? So hopefully you're not crammed into a 45 day window of having to make a decision. Yeah. So, so go ahead. I spoke to um, the lady that you referred me to. Um, OK, have, good, good. Yeah, so thank you for that. And then I spoke to someone else locally here uh, t- today that just gave me a call. I always like to just speak to two people just to see conflicting information, right? So uh, the lady that I spoke to here told me that since the gain is not realized, so my deal is an owner financing deal. Uh, It's not realized till, you know, like when I make the payments or, you know, at the end that the 1031 is not a good option for me. So are you you financing your building to somebody else? Yeah, they're putting a large down payment and then, they're making, you know, X amount of payments every month. You could, well, you could exchange your down payment. Okay. Now, now I had a similar situation. Now, let me tell you how you could set this up. You could open up a new LLC, okay? That LLC could have a lease with you, with your own company for that building. Mm-hmm. And that what you do is that that LLC that you have created will have what's called a leasehold interest. You could sell that leasehold interest for X amount of dollars, which would be, let's just say, whatever the, let's just pick a number, $500,000, okay? If you sell that leasehold for that, and let's just say the man gives you 250000 down, you can exchange that two fifty, and then you give him an option to buy the building at a later date. So it, so rather than him purchasing the building in this situation, he would just be purchasing a leasehold. 
Does, does that make sense? Yeah. It's, sure. it's, some of this stuff can get very complicated, but. Um, that will still have to get approval by, by the. So I still have a note on, on that as well. That'll still have to get approval by the bank, right? You would have to get an approval by the bank for them to allow you to do that. Correct. Is that, so is that a wraparound? Um, well, here's the deal. If you sell a leasehold, you're not selling the property. Mm, you're no. only selling that lease. So let's just say Josh LLC owns the building and now Josh Pather LLC is leasing that building and you got a 30 year lease for X amount of dollars. That guy's going to buy that lease from you. And then you just give him an option to buy the building later. You're not selling the building at that point. You're only selling the leasehold. Okay. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. So, and just to catch everybody up, they're talking a lot about 1031 exchanges. And just if anybody out there listening doesn't know what that is, that is simply a way when you sell a building, let's say sell, sell some piece of real estate and you're sitting on this big fat gain, you don't necessarily have to pay the tax on that gain. You can roll that gain into another property. And as Sean was saying, they give you 45 days to find another property. You, they call it an identif identification period. So you got to 45 days to find it. Then you have about six months to close on it. Is that right? That's correct. But it's just a way to uh, defer your taxes. And essentially you're rolling that, uh, that gain into the next building, which is going to lower your cost basis. So at some point in time, you're probably going to have to pay tax on it. You know, and maybe it's a death situation. You have all these gains that you're rolling to your to your family members, but it's a way to defer it right now where you don't have to pay tax on it. It's a great strategy for a lot of guys. Yep. So right now, uh, all the stuff on LoopNet, you know, I, I don't think I've seen the cap rate higher than 10% on there. Uh, so yeah. how are you going about uh, like finding, you know, approaching, negotiating your deals uh, that, that you, you do? Okay, good question. So as we were talking earlier about the mobile home park business, how the cap rates have gotten so compressed, and that has happened across, uh, in my opinion, the, the commercial real estate world. It's been happening at a rapid rate, um, especially now since lenders are actually willing to lend on a mobile home park. So the campground industry today is where the mobile home park industry was 10 years ago. It's very fragmented. There are still, I would say 99% of the people that own a campground live there. They work in them. They, it's, they have a job and it's, it's Mr. And Mrs. Smith. And that's what they got a handful of employees, but they're there every day. Okay. Lending on these types of assets right now has really not caught the eye of institutional lenders or, or national lenders. So getting financed on these types of properties is, is a challenge unless you have um, a really good relationship with a bank that's willing to do some business with you. Um, and we, we do have that now, but we didn't have it when we got started a few years ago in buying these properties. So. That that so that is what has really changed my direction on where I'm going because I can buy these now at 10, 12, 13, 14 cap rates. And I know so my so what we're doing is we're gonna take these parks. I have two now and hope to have two more this year, and we'll continue to do that. And then my my uh, goal is to cluster these together and then turn around uh 
add value to them, sell them at a lower cap rate as a as a group uh, to a REIT, somebody like a Sun Community, somebody that is in that business. So a lot of these deals that we do, if it's not bankable, then the owner doesn't have any option but to, uh, but to do a seller finance uh, just because he wants to get out. He's ready to retire. He's been doing it for 30 years. His wife's, you know, they're ready to move on with their lives. They've been at the campground seven days a week for the last 30 years and they want to go do something else. Well, I'm your guy. Now, they might have to get a little flexible if, if their park isn't bankable, but, um, you know, we're seeing, we're seeing that. So that's how we're coming across these deals right now. And it's, you're not going to find a lot of them listed. You know, they do have them listed in some places, but it's mostly okay. Um, you know, it, it's it's cold calling in some cases. And you, quite honestly, you would rather it not be listed, right? Correct. Have all the competition to deal with. Correct. That's the same thing with, you know, like buying rental properties right now is always tough. And if it's ever listed on the market, you know, it's not a great deal. Because <laughs> right. they get snatched up long before it ever hits the market. Correct. So... It's a matter of uh, you just give them a call, ask them what like what what's your typical script that you would uh, approach someone with? Well, basically, it's this. It's, um, you know, have you ever considered selling? Yeah. You know, and it's yeah, we have. And that's how the conversation or no, we haven't. You know, that's how. OK, well, you know, um, and, and follow up, you know, I mean, it, it's it's typical, you know, cold calling it. And, and I don't have anything that I go by. I like to just get a feel for the person that I'm talking to over the phone. Um, you know, I, I like to, you know, there's, there's a lot of times where, um, you know, just be, just be honest with people, tell them who you are. You know, like, for example, if I call somebody up, uh, I've got a guy that, that I'm working with right now. He's got a park in Iowa and I met him at a, uh, at a campground convention in Gatlinburg mm-hmm. sitting at the hotel lobby, having some cocktails and find out that he owns a park and he's, um, you know, up there for the convention. And we started talking. He started telling me about his park and how big it was, how many sites it had, where it was located. And I could tell the guy was, you know, was getting, you know, close to an age to where he would probably be wanting to retire. So I just asked him, I said, have you ever considered selling it? And he said, yes, we are. And I said, okay. And um, started talking about a price and we kept communicating over the last three or four months. He finally sent me over the financials. And whenever I looked at it, I didn't even haggle with him on the price because whenever I looked at the numbers, I noticed that I was buying it a 14 cap. And could I shave another couple hundred grand off of it? Probably. But I mean, I want to get the deal done. I don't want to, I'm not going to, I'm not going to let a deal like that walk away just because, you know, for a hundred or $200,000, because in five years that won't even matter. Right. Yeah. So when you, it's a brilliant strategy what you're doing. You talk about these things are fragmented and you're going to put them all together and sell them on a, as a whole. Yep. And then what, what's the cap rate that you're looking for to sell to a REIT after you've got all these stabilized and packaging them together? If you have a stabilized property, it's something of the caliber that I'm, that I'm talking about. They'll buy it at an eight cap. And if it's a really nice property, they'll buy it at a seven. Nice. Great strategy, man. What are some of the red flags? Let's say you, you meet an owner. What are some of the red flags that you're like, hey, this is not probably a good deal for me? I'll tell you this. Um, if I were buying an apartment building, I would have a totally different strategy and I would be looking at a lot of things differently than buying a campground or an RV park um, because there's just not a whole lot you can do to an apartment building. 
Okay, you could paint it, you can remodel it, you could do all these things, but you're going to be very, very tied to what the market will bear as far as a rent rate. Mm -hmm. So you really have to pay more attention to how you purchase that property. Whereas in this industry, it's more of what can I do with it? Mm -hmm. So there are some red flags such as, you know, I would say the one that I look at the hardest is what are the regulatory issues that I could face? What would stop me from being able to add 100 more sites? What would stop me from being able to add 30 more cabins? It, will I get? Will I be able to get a sewer permit? Will I be able to get water? Is it public? Is it private? Those I am more interested in rather than how he's running his business. Okay. Because most people that are in that business will not run their business the way that I do. And it's, and it's not because I have a magic formula. It's because they don't have the ability to inject $500,000 in capital improvements in it today. You know, they have to they have to take whatever free cash flow they have, live off of it and take whatever's left and try to put it back in the park. So for them to create a substantial amount of value and demand for that property, uh, we have the ability to do that a lot quicker mm -hmm. because and, and another thing, too, uh, it, it, you know, we go into a deal wanting to know if we're going to buy this. I need to know that I'm going to have access to capital. OK, so if a bank is only going to lend me 75 percent of the purchase price, then what I need to do is I need to find out how can I work with this seller to where I can make sure that that bank's loan to value will be lower. Here's an example of that. Four million dollar purchase price. I go and get a loan for three million dollars. And the, or I'm sorry, I get a loan for two million I put a, you know, and the seller carries a million of dollars in the, in the form of a second seller uh, note. That way I'm at around a 50% loan to value. And if I ask the bank, hey, you know what? Can I have an extra 750,000? And, and as long as he's not over his 75% LTV and, you know, there's a good chance I'm going to get that capital improvement money. So, you know, in addition to just buying it and saying we're going to operate it, we do look for ways that we can have, you know, capital available to us that way we can you know do some enhancements and some expansion gotcha gotcha so you come in you improve the property maybe pave the roads paint cool. you know that there would be some of that and there's there's several different criteria but for this particular business you have to create a reason for people to come mm -hmm. you're this is not this is this. I'm not talking about RV parks that are strategically located for people to come in for long term stays where they're going to stay there for four or five months at a time. I'm after the weekend customer. I'm after the summer customer that's going to come there and spend two or three days, four or five days with their kids. So I'm very big on a very high end entertainment package, whether that that's water features. And, and Josh, I'll send you some um, some links to the websites of two of the parks that we own. That way you can see what I'm talking about. But when you have to have things for people to do. And if you can create enough excitement and enough demand, then your traffic, your volume is just going to continue and continue. We purchased one park and we've tripled the income in that. Uh, we tripled the revenue in less than two years. Just, wow. by, doing those. just by doing these things. Mm -hmm. And, you know, a few other um, little tweaks here or there, but it's really about, you know, really good marketing plan 
you know, having the ability to uh, to expand your entertainment package, giving people a reason to come. We it's a destination. It's um it's 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 a mini. It's a and that's why the uh, the campground industry and in, we've noticed is COVID proof. We had a sixty percent increase in business in twenty twenty, and I think COVID actually helped us because people didn't want to go in, on cruises. They weren't going to Disney World. They weren't doing all this. But guess what? They could load up in an RV. They could spend a lot less money, and they could have the same amount of fun. So. It's um, wow. it, it's it has totally surpassed all of my expectations. And nobody's going to hotels either. No, we're going to RV no. parks, baby. Yeah, man. So, are you doing? Will you do an RV park all over the country? Yes, I've got one in Illinois. I've got one in Mississippi. I've got one the, the one that we're closing on at the end of February is going to be in Pennsylvania, and then we're working on this deal to get done in Iowa. So it doesn't matter where it is, as long as it meets my criteria. Is that your favorite asset class now? I mean, it not is right now. Parks, it's not mobile homes. It's RV parks. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, you can't buy a mobile home park at a decent cap rate these days. And there's nobody knocking the door down to go and buy a campground. Wow. So people would rather buy a mobile. The, the average investor, they'd rather buy a mobile home park than an RV park. Right now. Yes. I don't think that they are. uh same thing as, as 10 years ago. They, they weren't, you know, I don't think that they're aware of what's out there. Okay. And I'm telling you, it's coming. It, it's going to come a time where the cap rates are going to be so compressed in any other commercial real estate and multifamily real estate that they're going to be looking for something else. And I think that the RV industry will be that. Yeah. And you're going to be right there at the forefront, just yep. catching them dollar bills. That's what I'm looking for. <laughs> <laughs> Who's operating the parks? Every park has a property manager and um, they report to me and, uh, you know, he hires uh, at people as needed, uh, you know, um, based on his decisions. You know, we, we have procedures, we have policies, we have, you know, certain things that they have to do, certain reports that they have to give us. We have pretty pretty tight controls on how the business is operated. We have a lot of eyes looking at things. We have a lot of redundancies. So, um you know, we pay people well and we want to hire good talent and we're, you know, so that would be in my, that would be my advice. If anybody's going to get into this business or anything, make sure you pay your people well, you know, that way they'll go out and they'll stick with you and they'll learn and they'll continue to, to grow with you. How often are you on site there? Do you visit these often? It depends on what we have going on. If we're in the middle of a major expansion, you know, I might visit the property uh, like, if one if one is drivable, like three hours away, I might go there uh, once a week, once every two weeks for a day or two. Uh, if they're further away, I might go up there once every six weeks for a week at a time. Gotcha. Well, you built quite the strategy, man, on on just the mindset of how to you know make these places better, create a destination, and it's it's a great strategy, man. I'm impressed. Right. Yeah, thank you for sharing everything today, Sean. We appreciate you. Hey, just 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 to back up, you know, when you're getting started, uh, at what point did the banks finally come to you and say, "We'll give you money"? <laughs> I bought a property for thirteen thousand dollars. It was a, it was, a, it was literally a half of a house. It was like somebody cut the house right down the middle, and and it was on an acre of land. I bought it for thirteen thousand dollars. I had a friend of mine who had some extra cash who was looking to put it to work. And I worked out a deal. I said, lend me, you know, lend me $60,000. I'll give you a 12% interest rate. 
and I'll re once the house is finished being uh, rehabbed, I'll uh, I'll refinance it and pay you off. And that's exactly what happened. But that house appraised for one hundred and fifty thousand. So I was able to pay him off and get a sixty thousand dollar line of credit. And I just used that line of credit to buy thirty and forty thousand dollar houses and repeat that process. Yeah. And that's when you can really step on the gas. That's probably how you got 30, right? Was finally the banks got involved. They essentially gave you a line of credit and you were off to the races at that point. Correct. What house was that? What, what house number? That was number, that was house number three, I think. Okay. All All the other ones were on, were seller finance deals where, you know, I just had to get the seller to agree to, you know, to sell them to me on a note. Well, brother, you have got an amazing story. Thank you. You truly do. And and I, just, I want to recap some of this stuff just so people can be inspired out there because there's so many people out there that are like, I can't do that. I can't do that. And you you started, you, you, you had a job paying 11 bucks an hour and you buy a mobile home for 500 bucks that you didn't even have 500 to buy it. Mm-hmm. You give the guy a hundred down and you renovate that. And over time, you keep uh, owner financing yourself, turning that into about 10 grand. You buy a second mobile home, a third one, a fourth one. You run that up to 10. You buy a mobile home park. You buy your first single family house. You get a second. You get a third. You get a fourth. You run that up to 30. Then you buy an RV park. I mean, just incredible stuff. But at at the beginning of the day, it's humble beginnings, Mm -hmm. right? Yep. And it's working your butt off. You know, in your case, you you were, you were still working for the man. You were doing this as a side hustle, and then that becomes your full time job. And now you're making more money than you ever thought you could make, right? And it's just an amazing story. That's the evolution. You start with something small. I'll, I'll guarantee you when you bought that first mobile home part, you could not envision what you would end up being 25 years later. When I first got started, I was like, man, if all I could have is 10 mobile home parks, it's going to be a nice retirement plan. And, um, <laughs> But I'm telling you, if you're driven, you know, you can do anything. If if I mean, I'm telling you, for a guy like me who came up with, a, you know, my parents were working class. My, my dad worked in one of the refineries. You know, we were, you know, a working class family. And if I can do it, I'm telling you, there's no reason that anybody that's watching or listening to this could not do it. You just have to have determination and focus. Well said. Well said. Anything else, JP? Man, that's a perfect way to end it. If I do it, determination and focus. Leave you with that. Let that marinate. Let that grow. Let that's why we do this. We 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 like to share our failures, but we love to share successes as well. And and uh, everybody we've had on the show, we were talking about this before. Nobody's come for money. (laughs) Everybody we have interviewed has all bootstrapped it, had no money but they had the right mindset. And that's what it's all about. If you're going to be successful, you got to have the right mindset. And for us, you surround yourself with the right people, get great counsel, get good vision, gather some wisdom around you, and you will be successful if you're driven. So thank you, sir, for your time, Mr. Sean. Yes, sir. Thank y'all for having me. Thank you, guys. Yeah. All right, guys. Thank y'all. Yep. So that'll be Next Level Business Podcast. Guys, make sure to rate and comment below. If you have any questions, my number will be below. You can text me directly uh, and we'll be happy to, to answer any questions. Sean will be uh, inside our private Facebook group. So if you guys want to join the Next Level Mastermind, uh, go to nlmastermind.com. If you want to be a part of it, you get access to all of our guests really uh, are involved in there. 
If you have questions for them, uh, it's Next Level Mastermind, nlmastermind.com. We'll talk to you guys later. Take care. See you next time, guys. Bye. Bye.